You're listening to The Thrive Podcast, where every week we dive into a practical, tactical tip to bring you from a life of simply surviving to thriving. It's personal development for the everyday girl who is done with coasting through her days, done with feeling like she's missing out on the deeper meaning of her own life, and done with mediocrity once and for all. Because it's not enough to simply survive, you deserve to thrive. Welcome back to Thrive. This episode is a true treat for parents who want to thrive. I'm honored to welcome Destiny Davis as our guest today. She's one of my personal favorite people to follow on Instagram and a go-to resource, mom to mom Destiny is a certified parenting coach, a social media rock star, and the author of Very Intentional Parenting. And she drops advice today that is practical and applicable in your home right now. We talk about how to build better connections with your kids and challenge the idea of discipline as means of teaching instead of punishing. We talk about transitioning from being the yeller parent to better regulating your own emotions in tough parenting moments. And we talk about actual scripts to use to get through high emotion, high tension situations like a child hitting or acting out. Destiny is all about data collection, so you'll finish this episode feeling more equipped as a mom or dad and better able to hold boundaries compassionately and parent calmly, learning your kid what works and what doesn't. Stay tuned through this conversation. Drop it five stars if you like what you're listening to. And now, welcome, Destiny. Hey, hey. (laughs) Welcome back. I, oh my gosh, Destiny is one of my favorite people to follow on Instagram, on TikTok. She is a certified parenting coach, and I know she does not consider herself a parenting expert, but I know thousands of people consider you a parenting expert. Um, At least I sure look up to her mom to mom, and I know so many other people do. We've never had a parenting episode on Thrive, but it has always been the top question is for help parenting. And I feel like there's really no better metaphor from going from surviving to thriving than that in parenthood when you really find yourself in the trenches of survival mode and need a little bit of a of a life raft to get yourself to a place of thriving. So I can truly think of no better woman than Destiny to help us get there today. Thank you for being here again and introduce yourself to everyone on Thrive. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad that I'm here. Uh, Like you said, I am a certified parent coach. I am not an expert. Absolutely not. I I cannot stand that title. I'm just a mom that is well-studied in the science of parenting, um, nervous system science, development, all those kinds of things. But I like to take the science and make it practical and realistic. I'm not stuffy. I'm not the Pinterest mom. Um, and I like to bring this kind of advice to my community so that we can be more confident and actually enjoy parenting because it can be fun. It, it really yeah. can. Yeah, I love that. There's obviously a lot of different parenting styles out there, like gentle parenting is like all the trendy talk right now, but gets a lot of flack from maybe the more authoritative parents. And I believe you call it intentional parenting, right? Which I just love that really resonates with me personally as a mom. So can you kind of explain what that is and break down what makes that a little bit different than other styles out there? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I kind of came into the game under the like the umbrella of gentle parenting, but I know that phrase doesn't resonate, you know, with 
everybody, my more Northern followers are like, nah, like, what do you mean? Like, we're not gentle. Like we love our kids, but like, yeah. So I totally get that the word doesn't resonate with anybody, everybody, but for me, even with my clients, it's about being intentional and making sure you're making choices that feel aligned with your values and your truth. Um, and that honor what is intentional and important to your family. Of course, along the lines of still keeping safety for children and I'm not with like kidding kids and all of that, but there's really not a lot of right and wrong when it comes to parenting. And it's about just at the end of the day, when you go to bed, are you like, well done. And the only way to do that is if you're intentional about what you want as a parent. Yeah. I love that. Something that I love that you talk about so much is really connection over correction. Um, and how the goal should really not be to be correcting our kids as much as it is to be connecting with them, because from there, it's so much easier to teach them, um, which is ultimately, and this, you say this so much and it's so stuck in my brain, which is wonderful because it should be, but like, that's the goal of discipline is like discipling your kids (laughs) and not punishing them. So can you kind of talk about like what your favorite ways are to actually build connection that end up leading to maybe an easier time correcting? Because I feel like we all maybe know what our kids like and whatnot, but when it comes down to, are you really connecting with them at the end of the day where they actually kind of want to be in on the process with you of learning and growing and and doesn't feel so much like a battle? What's your advice to do it? So the number one thing for me, I would say is, is presence, right? It's not like a specific game to play or a specific thing to do a specific amount of time. Every kid is different, but there's something to be said about putting the phones away, putting the to-do list that's in our mind away and really getting present with our kids. Uh, Specifically for my oldest, that's like presence in my conversation and really actively listening to her. She bids for connection so much and just wanting to tell me about her day or ask me questions. And I know that the longer I go without just stopping and tuning into that, the more challenging the evenings go, get into this kind of funk. The youngest is very much, I mean, she's so imaginative. And so connection to her is like, just get on the floor with me, like do that for literally five minutes and you filled up my world. Uh, So I think connection is about presence and that shows up before we discipline, but also when they're misbehaving and we're like, you know, getting on their level and really tuning into them and showing them safety with our tone and our body language um, and forgetting the agenda of, okay, well, we got to get out of the house. So I got to make them put their shoes on and just really connecting and getting present with them um, in a way that feels safe for them. Okay. So since you just mentioned when they are misbehaving and when you might have to, or you feel like you have to get out the door at a certain time or do something, and it's just like not working in the moment, how do you recommend handling that? Because I'm sure it's very familiar to every parent listening, the feeling of just like, well, we have to be there at this time. So like, I don't care what happens next. It just has to get done. And like, you get so laser focused on that end goal that that's where so much tension can happen and so much can just kind of go out the window. So do you have like a script you recommend following or a formula you recommend using in those moments where you, maybe you do have like an appointment you have to get to or something that kind of has to quote unquote get done, but there is kind of like a tug of war happening along the way. Absolutely. So I'm not very much an in the moment kind of a parent. I think that those I'm not going to cut those like crap show moments. It's really just opportunities for me to get data 
on what to do the next time. And so again, it comes back to intention. And so if I know that mornings are difficult, mornings are a challenge, as a leader in the home, I have to set up my environment for success. I have to um, engineer it in a way that takes into account that they move slow sometimes or that I'm crankier in the mornings or whatever it is. So in the moment when they're not listening, I'll go to redirecting like or, or play or something like that to get us out of the moment, out of the house the quickest way possible. But ultimately I'm gonna say, what didn't work this time? Was it because I woke up late and didn't have patience? Was it because we didn't connect in this morning? Um, did they have less sleep last night? I'm going to do what I can to set up the environment so that that doesn't happen. And then ultimately when things do happen, I'm going to regulate myself and be calm and stay calm and hold boundaries in a loving, compassionate way. Uh, but I mean, practically I have a five-year-old and at the end of the day, if I got to pick you up, but I got to pick you up and we're going to leave, but I'm going to do so calmly and I'm going to check myself and say, why didn't we have time? this time. I, this is the same kid I've had for the past five years. I knew she was going to want to play with the magnetiles five minutes from it's time to go. Why were the magnetiles even out? So um, I think it's a combination of setting the intention, planning in the moment, staying calm, and then coming in with a boundary when it's necessary, but being compassionate. Like, I'm not like, oh, whatever. You're not listening. Like, I'm, I know I'm going to pick you up now. This sucks. I got it, but we got to go. I love how much you call attention to checking yourself as a parent too, yeah. because I feel like a lot of times we kind of forget that and throw all of the onus on the kid, forgetting the fact that like they are a kid and they don't have the neurological development as of yet to be processing at the same way we do. So why are we putting that expectation on them in the first place that they're going to have their ish all figured out when we're here as like 20 something and 30 something year old grownups and don't have all of our ish together all the time. So it's yeah. like, we don't give them grace uh, in those moments. And I think so many people would probably have like an eye-opening moment if they do exactly what you just said and like go back through the moment that just transpired and see, was there anything in there that you probably should have done differently that led you from point A to point B or where you did not want to be? So Man. that's very sound. <laughs> you know, that's probably one of the biggest parenting tools that I have is reflection and really- yeah looking back on a moment and seeing not in a shaming way but just like very practical like research this is data okay what worked what didn't work what can I do different next time and then actually setting the intention um so that you know you can move different because so much that we do a lot of times is like behavior focused on the kid my kid wasn't listening my kid didn't do this my kid didn't do that and it's like how could I have shown up better um so that I could have facilitated a more successful outcome for both of us yeah yeah. And I feel like reflection is also so good in figuring out your own, like the, the trends in your own past or your own childhood that brought you to why or how you're parenting that way. Cause I know that's happened for both my husband and I, um, but probably more so me because my husband's parents weren't as, weren't as present for him. So it was one of those things where we constantly have to check in and be like, wait, why is this my gut reaction in this situation? And like, is it the gut reaction that I want it to be? Or like, why do I, do I think it's even the right way to parent? Or am I just doing it? Cause that's what I saw modeled for me. And that's, if you start asking yourself those questions, like brace yourself, you're going down a rabbit hole because you probably should have a therapist involved right. along the way, because you're going to be like, whoa, we're on governing. Yeah, have a therapist bring humans into this world, period. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. Well, and I think going along with that, something we see a lot is 
parents just, okay, losing their cool acting or speaking out of anger when they're thinking like, oh, my kid just won't listen. So anger might be that gut response, maybe yelling, maybe just saying something more from a place of frustration instead of intention. Um, and that's something that I'm sure you hear it. Oh my God. Every single day. I hear it a lot where people are just saying like, ah, oh, my kid, they just won't listen to me. Like, uh, what advice would you give? Or what is maybe your favorite way to help parents transition from maybe being the yeller, so to speak, um, to getting a point across where it's not hurting the relationship. It's regulating their own emotions better and maybe still ultimately getting to the place they want to go. But with that approach, that feels probably very foreign at first. Yeah, absolutely. It's a major thing. It really, really is. And it's because a lot of us grew up in chaotic homes where that was the norm um, or grew up in homes where we didn't feel very powerful. And this is a a relationship where your ego would show itself because you're a thousand percent in control. So it's understandable. It, I want parents to understand that it is a thousand percent, like, well, not a thousand percent, but majority physiological, meaning that it is your body's response to what's going on in your environment. And the only way that you're going to overcome that is not by telling yourself, I'm not going to yell again. I'm not going to yell or fixing your kid. You really do need to do some work, whether that's with a therapist or deeper modalities like um, DBT or EMDR working with a coach, somebody that can teach you how to actually not just regulate your feelings, but actually regulate your nervous system and tap into what's going on in your body. Because it's a trigger is exactly that. The minute you experience it, you're yelling and you're already in the thick of it. So I know we don't ask for help a lot, but support is a big deal when it comes to our mental health and when it comes to the way we're responding to our children. I like to think of it as like a shirt. It's like, you know, the bigger the tear gets, the harder it is to repair it. And if we go too long without doing that, it almost starts to feel like I get so many parents that are like, is it too late Hmm. to repair that and to fix that? And I mean, the honest answer is no, it probably isn't, but it's harder and harder to. Um, And it's because we get so wrapped up in the to-dos of parenting, right? That we don't always prioritize our mental health and it honestly should be at the top of the list because it makes everything else so much freaking easier. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, it sure does. It sure does. In terms of, all right, the to-dos of parenting and all of that, I feel like a lot of times maybe we get caught up in navigating, all right, when is it the right time to be setting rules, be being kind of more routinized, having there be that structure and kind of going along with all of that versus having things be more free flowing and more play oriented and fun. And people kind of have it in their heads. Like you're either, or either you're the fun parent where it's a free for all and it's like crazy, or you're the one where it's rules and it's routine and structure. And it's like, they, they exist separately in people's brains. And we hear pros and cons on both sides with structure versus free play and all of that jazz. So how do you find balance between the two where they kind of obviously can and should and do coexist in some capacity, but where you're finding what works for your family, how your kid is and kind of what, what their sweet spot is for the two. I don't know why we complicate this so much, but it's like any (laughs) other capacity where somebody is growing 
it's very clear. You have specific boundaries and responsibilities and they, the boundaries loosen and the responsibilities go up over time. It's the same thing with the child. They need a ton of boundaries. Like we need the plugs on the sockets and things to put up high. And, you know, we need a ton of boundaries. They don't be able to give us as much input. It just got here. And over time, those boundaries are going to get a little bit looser. Their input is going to come in a little bit more. Um, when they're younger, that's when we start to give them options, you know, not what do you want to eat, but do you want an apple or an orange? And then as they get older, there's less boundaries. They have more input. What do you want to eat? When do you want to eat? Those kinds of things. And then when they get to a point where they're actually responsible with that, now they can make their own decisions and it can be even more collaborative. So I think that we try to make it an age thing and it really is a development thing. And every child is going to be different and that's going to look different for every child. But trusting the process, being okay with that, um, not putting too much responsibility on a child um, which is usually how it goes in the authoritarian sense, but then the opposite side of not having any responsibility or any boundaries on the permissive side of it. Um, I think really having that balance is important. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of boundaries, I literally just rewatched one of your videos this morning with your daughter, um, around with her hitting phase when it was like around, I don't know, maybe like age three, age four. And I was like, Ooh, relatable. Um, but you shared a little script that you showed yourself doing in the moment with her. Can you share that again here for anyone who hasn't seen that yet? Because I feel like it's so powerful and I think it was probably all the more helpful because it was so real because you just showed yourself doing it in real time and your daughter's response and light bulbs probably went off for people where they were like, Oh, it works. Like, look at that. It just happened. Are you talking about, I mean, cause I have so many videos about her. Oh yeah. You, um, she she was hitting you and then you just kind of like embraced her and walked through, okay, this is how, this is what to do in this situation to diffuse it and reconnect versus punish. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, I always start with connection and sometimes that literally is like, I'm just going to drop this. We're going to go play or cuddle and reconnect. Other times it's, I'm just going to connect to what she's feeling right now. And I'm going to be slow and talk gently and, you know, get in tune with her feelings. Um, And then, and by the way, this is all recap. Like this is not in the moment. This is like, once we're both regulated and cool and calm down, that's, that's priority because if she's emotional, nothing I say rational is going to land at all. It's going to be an argument like, but no, but I, or it's going to be more tantrum, whatever. So after the fact, I connect with her first and then I get as much information as I can. Curiosity. Why did this happen? How could I have supported you? And then that's when I come in with the lesson and we will literally rehearse what you can do next time. And I'll say, say that with me, mommy, I'm angry. And she'll say, mommy, I'm angry. And we'll practice that. And then I'll just reiterate the lesson, explain to her why it's important. When she was younger, I would say it. Uh, I think maybe in the video that you were watching, I was able to ask questions like, why don't we hit? And she's like, cause hitting hurts people. Um, And so it's about reinforcing the lesson. It's what we do when it's happening. Like, you know, why don't you hit people? And you're not, but when they're in the emotional part of their brain, it's not landing. So I just basically do what most parents do. I just wait until everybody's calm and connected to do that. Yeah. So what do you recommend doing then in the actual moment? Like when, if she hits you in the face, like (laughs) what's, what's the first step there before you're emotionally both emotionally regulated at a point where you can have an actual recap conversation well regulation is impossible if you're not 
both safe. And I always say if a kid is hitting, the person they're hitting isn't safe and they're not safe either. To be that dysregulated is not safe for a child's brain or body. So first thing is for me is safety. And whether that's holding her hands or I have to pick you up, you can't be around other kids. Um, I think it's important that we remember their emotional safety as well. So if they're hitting in front of people, like I want to make sure that you feel safe emotionally. So I'm going to take you in another room before I discipline you or whatever that is. So safety is number one. I'm going to hold your hands, pick you up, whatever. Once that's the case, I'm not even focused on her regulating. I'm not trying to calm her down. If I just got whacked, I'm obviously... I don't feel regulated, right? So I would hold her and rock her, or close my eyes, breathe, say some affirmations to myself, like slow my heart rate down. So that way, when I go to help her, I'm actually doing it in a way that feels safe. I'm not like, it's okay that you're mad. You can't hit me. Like, it's not it. You know, I want to be able to like show her with my body language. It is safe to calm down right now you're probably really dysregulated. I'm here to help you. Not I'm here to fix you or tell you what to do. I'm here to help you because you need my help. Um, and then once I've done that and I bring in a calming tool for her, whether that's singing or turning off the lights or holding her while I walk around, um, inviting her to calm down. And once she feels safe to calm down, then we can talk about what happened. We can talk about if there's a consequence that's necessary. Do you understand why you shouldn't hit? Okay, well, now when we go back in the room, I'm going to sit in between you all for a little bit um, just so that we can get comfortable again. That's what I'm going to do. I'll bring in the boundary. Um, but yeah, that's typically how I would handle that back in that excruciating phase of WWE. <laughs> what, oh yeah, I feel you. What I love about that so much though is like, we probably send our kids so much confusing messaging when, like you said, you're like coming from a still angry place yourself being like, it's okay to feel angry, but like, you can't do this. And you're still angry and how you're presenting it to them. It's like, they pick up on our body language and they can pick up on those vibes. And if you are clearly pissed off, relaying something to them, trying to tell them how they should be calm and kind. All right. Well, if you're not sounding calm and kind yourself, then you kind of got a problem yeah. <laughs> that they're going to pick up on, especially the older they get. So I feel like that's a really good reminder for people. Cause if, if you're pushing through being like, but I am telling them how to, that they should communicate their feelings and all of that jazz, but it's still not landing. Right. That might be why. Yeah. And at that age, they can't separate themselves from their feelings and their behaviors. Right. And so we're really feeling some type of way about the behavior but all they know is we keep telling them you're mad, you're mad. And we're showing them that they're mad isn't okay. So they don't think, okay, me hitting isn't okay. They think me mad isn't okay. I'm not okay. I'm bad. It's bad to be mad. It's bad to be me. And so that's why I got to regulate myself first. So that when I speak to them, they feel good. They feel safe being mad. And then once they've understood that they're safe, then we can talk about the behavior itself. Yeah. Can you walk us through some of your favorite positive discipline techniques and maybe something like breaking it down for younger kids, like preschool age or whatever. And then maybe something for kind of more elementary age. Yes, absolutely. So <laughs> younger kids, especially like being five-year-old, um, a lot of times they really are in that desire, like tiny emperor, like they really want to be empowered. They really want to prove things. So I use power a lot with Phoenix, um, whether that is like a timer, timers are excellent to get out of the house <laughs> go back to getting out of the house like 
I'll talk to her dolls when she's putting on her clothes and she'll be moving so slow. And then I'll just be talking to her doll. I'm like, yeah, no, Phoenix totally cannot get dressed in 30 seconds. Like I've seen her get dressed. It takes 50 seconds at least. And she's like, she's going to get dressed in 20 seconds. Like she just has so much to prove. Everything is play with Phoenix. And I can really help her um, when it comes to that. When it comes to my oldest, a lot of times letting her know that I'm on her team is really powerful. And so I always say that. I'll talk about mornings specifically. Mornings are a challenge. She's in the preteen phase. She doesn't want to go to school. And if it's like, do this, do this, you got to get up, do this, you got to blah, blah, blah. I'm constantly throwing off directives. She's not going to move. But if I remind her of my window of tolerance, like, hey, in a minute, I'm going to have to go do my thing. I'm here to help you. I know mornings are hard. How can I help you? We get a lot further. That phrase, like we're a team, how can I help you? What do you need? Go so much further than, because again, we, we have to remember that their capacity is what their capacity is. And I can't expect someone who's been homeschooled her whole life, her first year in school to just be like, all right, I'm up and I'm going to do this. and I'm going to do that at seven o'clock in the morning. So I think older kids, it's really beneficial for them to know that you're there to support them and using phrases like we're a team. I can help you. How can I help you? Tell me what you need. Um, those kinds of things within the boundaries are really helpful. That also sounds like it would all be just super helpful too, in terms of building overall trust with them, because you're like telling them and showing them and reminding them and like truly showing up as a player on their side. Mm -hmm. I feel like, did you, did that start at what age did that kind of start for you where you were intentionally building trust with them so that it was like a relationship that could transition as they were growing and as your parenting techniques had to evolve and all of that sort of thing, where it was kind of like, all right, they know, like they know that I'm on their side and that they can't mess with me or lie to me or anything <laughs> like that. Like they know, and they care where like you sense that they care about that relationship too. Yeah. I think it's been that way probably for as long as they've been here, just because I'm big on reflection and so we'll have those conversations after the fact. And it's really, it feels like problem solving. And so just the idea of like, you can trust me, we're going to figure it. Everything is figure outable. Like Marie Folio says, like my kids believe that because I come back. I, we don't always get it right in the moment, but we figure things out. We help each other. And I always have that framework of like, my kid isn't doing something wrong. They just need support. How can I support them? Not do it for them but how can I support them to communicate better? Like, cause who are you talking to? Or how can I support them to clean their room? Those kinds of things. It's always been that way. I've never been a, because I said so, you should know better. Um, it's always, I have to use that go-to phrase because I know that I could default to that very easily because that's how I was raised. So I have to have go-to go phrases so that I can use them in the moment. And that's typically the, what the conversation is. And they know yeah. that they can trust me because that's how I show up. I show up the way that I say I'm going to. Now, I'm. if you have a moment where you realize you do, you did mess up or you're, I feel like that's the, <laughs> the natural side effect of reflection is you have way more moments of like, oh crap, that was totally not what I should have done or how I should have handled it. And then you risk like sending yourself down the mom shame spiral so how do you handle that for yourself where, and how do you handle that with your kids? If you have a moment where you realize like, Ooh, yeah, messed that one up. What's the, what's the process for like 
fixing it with them and like repairing the repairing what happened. And at what point is, do you think it's like the right point to make that move? Mm, That's such a good question. And it's something that should also be really intentional. And that's the repair process. First, I try to deal with it with myself first, right? I don't want to go into taking accountability with shame. And I don't want to do the like, the pity me because I made a mistake. Oh, I'm worst mom ever. Like, I don't want to even put that on my kids. So I deal with it with myself first and forgive myself. Uh, I walk through what happened very reflectively, very practically in black and white. This is what happened. This is what I said. This is what I would have preferred to say. Um, This is how it probably made her feel. So I'm in tune and empathetic before I go into the conversation. Um, And then I'll state what's true. You know, what's true is I was exhausted or I'm learning these things. I'm growing, I'm getting better. And I'll invite my daughter into that. You know, can I talk to you? I want to talk about what happened earlier. I think the most important part of a genuine repair moment with our kids is taking accountability um, for what we did, for how it probably made them feel, checking in, like, is that how it made you feel? Or how did you feel when I yelled at you? Um, But then also giving them reassurance about change behavior in the future. And I like to, it's not always possible, but I like to tell my kids what I'm going to do next time. Like next time I'm going to count to 10 or, um, you know, I don't really know what to do next time, but I'm I'm looking into that. I'm going to figure out a better way to respond when X, Y, and Z happens. So yeah, those three things, acknowledging what happened, how they might've feel, felt and what you're going to do in the future. Yeah. I love that. How do you handle it when your kid is exposed to maybe other kinds of parenting techniques? Is that something you recommend like addressing with uh, with the grown-ups involved or having a conversation with your kid directly like because if you got other other parents involved or you've got grandparents or just like any other grown-up figure in their life who is approaching things differently and very well maybe in a conflicting way than what you are so intentionally literally trying to do to help your kids oh that's a fun one <laughs> <laughs> So I'm big on environment engineering. So I try to have as few of those influences in my kid's life as humanly possible, um, just because I want to parent in alignment with my values. And so I'll make sacrifices so my kids don't have to be in certain class settings or have to be with certain family members. I will prioritize those sacrifices over other things. And then when they are exposed to those kinds of situations, I think that that's opportunities for me to teach my children resilience, to teach them that people are different. As long as my kids aren't being harmed, I think that it's an opportunity for me to teach them that people have different values. And yeah, that word is disrespectful at your grandma's house. And that's weird to you. It's weird to me too. How do you feel about that? How can we handle this? It goes back to problem solving. Everything's figure outable, but we can't change everybody in this world. And as long as you're safe, that's what matters. If your feelings are hurt, then I can help you with that. But we can't always fix every single circumstance. Sometimes we just have to learn how to be with our feelings and how to be in situations that don't always feel comfortable. So it's a both, yeah. a both and. I love that. Was there ever a time looking back where you had a situation with one of your kids or heard of a situation from a client or wherever, where it was truly like a, a stumping moment where you were like, man, the kid threw something off the wall at you or like, not literally, but like through, like through something where you were like, man, I have no idea how to handle this. And like, it literally took serious, like figuring out. 
Yes. Heck yeah. So this last year, I kind of talked about it a little bit um, because my daughter told me I could on one of my previous, on one of my recent posts, but the last year was like crazy. My daughter's 10 and we've had just such a beautiful, amazing relationship. And when she went to school, it was like rage kid, like throwing stuff, yelling, I hate you, like just self-deprecating. It was, and it was to the point where it was like, I knew what to do, you know, like I knew what to do, but I didn't know (laughs) what to do, you know, like, yeah, I get all the language and the, the tools and stuff, but when a kid is big and they're yelling at you and you're in the thick of it and you're feeling things you've never felt before, like I was like disgusted with my kid, like I was like, I don't like this little person. I've never felt that way about her before. Regulating was really difficult. And um, compassion, like I didn't have any compassion for her at all. Like I'm sure I would look at her like, ugh, like I don't even wanna be in your space. And so that was a challenge. Then reflecting on that and seeing myself as that mom was a challenge, feeling like I'm doing something wrong because why is my kid feeling like this was a challenge. And so anytime that happens, I think the best thing that we can do is to just pause, let go of the expectations of changing their behavior for the moment and really figuring out what do I need to get support through whatever this phase is about to be so that I can be the best for myself and the best for my kid. And that's when I started like a more intensive therapy I was like, I need to be rock solid. My kid is going through something major that I obviously, I have the tools for, but cannot call on. I need to be a better mom. Like I need to be more equipped to actually pull out those tools. So yeah, when those things happen, something shakes you up and you're like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to fix this. Like put everything else on hold. And whether that's you need your sibling to come over for a little bit and maybe help with the dishes or you need to do therapy or you need to not do soccer, basketball and gymnastics for a few months. Maybe we need to dial it back. Um, but kind of just fortifying your mind and your spirit um, and your emotions. I think it always comes back to the better I feel in my body and in my mind, the easier it is, the less I need a parenting expert or somebody to tell me what I probably intuitively already know. Um, so yeah, I think that that's, what's most important. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, Destiny. Well, thank you so much for joining us again. I want to get things wrapped up by asking you what we ask all guests on the show, which is what does thrive mean to you? And how do you strive to thrive in your everyday life? Ooh, I love that. That's such a good question. I will go back to intention and my values. And I think that as long as I'm living in alignment with what matters to me, um, and like the highest version of myself, not like trauma, ego, me, but like screw what anybody else thinks about parenting me. That's thriving for me. And those things for me are connection, communication, and joy. And as long as I'm living in alignment with those three things, I am thriving. I love that so much. Tell everyone where they can find you online to connect with you more, where they can get a copy of your book, um, learn about all your coaching, all that good stuff. Yes. So you can find me um, at destiny.ann on all social. My website is destinyann.com and that's where you can buy the book. Very intentional parenting. 
Wait, before you go, make sure you're subscribed to never miss an episode of Thrive. Drop five stars on your way out if you like what you just listened to. And come join the party on Instagram at thrive.podcast to stay inspired and thriving all week long. Thanks for tuning in. It's your time to thrive.